Welcome to the Glow Podcast with Dr. Land. Our purpose is to inspire and equip you to live a purposeful and maximized life that makes a glowing difference in your world to God's glory. For more inspiring content from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now let's listen in and be inspired. This month, the, the title or the, the series we are going through is Running the Race, Following God's Plans for Your Life. God's Plan for Your Life. Running the Race, Following God's Plan for Your Life. Following God's Plan for Your Life. So, we... You know, we, we already established it, and I want to say it again, that God has a plan for your life. Somebody say, and say, God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. Um, God has a plan for your life. He already pre-planned your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, just, this is just a review of some, some things we've gone through. Ephesians 2, verse 10 says, we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Somebody let's, you know, it's good to just speak the word. Everybody say after me, say, I'm I'm God's masterpiece. I've been created anew in Christ so that I can do the good things he planned for me long ago. So God planned some good stuff for you that you are supposed to do long ago. And he saved you so that you can get into the position of being able to do those good things. So we're talking about the fact that our lives have been pre-planned. They've been pre-planned. In Psalm 127 verse 1, it says, Except the Lord, or unless the Lord builds the house. The work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. So he's saying, unless the Lord builds the house. So there are two buildings there. Listen, there's the building of God first, and then there's the physical building. So except the Lord has already built it, except it is the one that God has already ordained, If you go and do the other one, you are just involved in a vain pursuit. So we want to make sure that nobody in this place, nobody listening, is involved in a vain pursuit of going after what is not in God's plans for them. God's plan is very specific concerning you. God's plan is waiting there for you. You have to discover it and align yourself to it. If you go the other way, you will discover at the end of it all that it's all in vain. And so that's why we're talking about realignment. We want to realign. In case we've been building, you know, something else, we want to destroy that castle and make sure that we start building according to God's plan. When God met Moses, he, told, he, gave him, he met him on the mountain and he gave him a, a pattern for the, uh, for, the, for the Ark of the Covenant. 
how it was supposed to be built. We've been studying that in the Bible master class. We've been studying some weeks ago um, on Wednesdays. And he gave him a, a, the heart, right? And then he gave him an instruction. He said, build according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. In other words, you are not supposed to add to any, anything to the design. You are not supposed to build anything that is not in it. Because the moment you build anything that is not part of it, it is no longer the hack of the covenant. It is now the hack of Moses. The moment you add anything to it. Why? Because the reason why is because the hack that God was trying was trying to get Moses to build on the earth is a replica of something that already existed in heaven. Do you get it? So there's a way it looks in heaven, right? And he was supposed to, to reproduce it on the earth. He has to reproduce it exactly that way, or it is no longer, the, it's no longer God's intention being done on the earth. So the same thing with our lives. There is a pattern already in heaven concerning your life. Any addition to it contaminates it. Any addition to it makes it, 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 makes it invalid. It makes it invalid. That is why one of the greatest things that you can do for yourself is to make sure that as part of your life, you make it a duty. You take it as a responsibility to always seek God for his plans for you for, and for his purpose for you, his purpose for that plan, the correct motivation for it, and then you pursue it. That's one of the greatest responsibilities of the believer to make sure that they are constantly seeking God's plans and finding out his purpose and making sure they are working in alignment with it. When you work in alignment with God's purpose, it works like clockwork. You get the fullness of God's blessings on what you do. But if you contaminate it and you add some other stuff to it, it will bless you as much as it can, but not as much as he wants. You know, there are people who are working in as I can blessings, as I can, when it comes to God's blessing, as much as I can blessings. You know, because God is a blesser God. God is always looking for a way to bless us, right? So he will give, he bless as much as he can. But, they are, but God wants us to work in as I want blessings, as much as I want blessings. So as much as I can blessing is what is called the permissive will of God. As much as I want blessing is called the perfect will of God. We want the perfect will of God, not the permissive will of God. God is a gentleman. So if you bring your plans to him, you bring your, you bring your own purpose to him, and you begin to talk about it and all that, because he's a gentleman, he's not going to impose. He's going to allow you to go and do it. And he will bless you as much as he can. But what we want to do is that we want to be in a state where we are requesting from him, Lord, I know I have all these ideas, but what is your plan? I don't, I don't know about you. I don't want, I don't want, you know, you know I don't want to, you know, to have, the, to have a good idea. I want a God idea. I don't want to live in a good idea. I want to live in a God idea of my life. Listen, I have many good ideas about my life, you know, and we have many good ideas about our life. Any one of us, many of you are very educated. You think very well. So many good ideas will come concerning your life. But you will never be able to walk in God's perfect will if you live in the realm of good ideas. Because some good ideas are not God's ideas. We want the God ideas for our life. Somebody say after me, say, Lord, I want your, your idea. I want to live in your ideal. I want to live in your ideas for my life. So show me, Lord. 
So there's a state that you have to be. You know, so there's a state that you have to be to be able to get the God idea. And that's part of what we're going to be you know, talking about today. All right, so uh, still you know, cook some, you know, part of my redition. So we are using uh, Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 as our text. Hebrews chapter 12 from verse 1 says, Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, he disregarded the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of God, the place of honor beside God's throne. Hallelujah. Go back to verse 12. So we've been, we've been, we are looking at this verse, this, I mean, this verse this month, this passage this month, to talk about our realignment with God's purpose and plans for our lives. And I told you that we're going to treat this verse under eight, we're going to look at it from eight perspective. So let me quickly, uh, you know, show you again. The first thing we're going to look at, which we looked at last week, is the arena of our race. So we have a race to run. That purpose we're talking about is a race. It's, you know, it's symbolized as a race. So we talk about the arena, the surrounding. It says since we're surrounded, we're surrounded. So the first part is the race. The race, which is where we're running. That race. What's the surrounding of that race? And last week, I talked about the surrounding. And I told you that there are two very important things you need to, learn, to know about the surrounding of our race. The first one is that we're running in a very difficult terrain. Everybody say difficult terrain. It's a difficult terrain. The reason is because we have opposition. We have opposition. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We have a team, a team that is trying to distract us and detract us. We have a team that is trying to stop us from fulfilling the goal. And the Bible calls them principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world in Ephesians chapter 6. So it's a, it's a difficult terrain. The race we're talking about is a race that you cannot run alone. And you're going to see it later in the sense that you need Jesus in the sense to help you. The race, and of course, the support and the help of others. The race that we're talking about uh, is a race that is strenuous. It's a race that requires that you get to a point where you need refueling. It's a race. It's a race that is sometimes difficult. Amen. But the, the great thing is that we have the supply of every, everything that we need to finish our race. So the terrain is difficult. Now, the second aspect of the race, of the surrounding of the race, is that we have we have our crowd cheering us on. Hallelujah. Somebody say that. I say, I got my crowd of cheer leaders and groups cheering me on. There are people observing your race as you are running your race. And for every step you take forward, no matter how difficult it is, they are encouraging you on. Amen. First of all, you have the Father who is cheering you on. You have the Son who is with you. You have the Holy Spirit 
who is cheering you on. And then the Bible says we also have the cloud of witnesses. The cloud of witnesses being mentioned here, as I explained last week, is talking about, you know, first of all, talking about the people that he talked about in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, he mentioned people that were called the heroes of the faith. He started by talking about God, and then he, go, he went on to start to talk about Hebel. He went on to talk about Enoch, to talk about Noah, to talk about Abraham, to talk about Moses, and he continued. And he said, all these people, they, are, they, they received instructions from God in their own generations. Difficult tasks to be fulfilled. Difficult races to be run. And they took it, and by faith, they ran it. And then they finished their assignment. Some of them did not see the fullness of what, they, what God showed them because Christ was to, supposed to come to bring the fulfillment of what they saw. But he said they ran that race and then they ascended. But when they finished their own race, they sit in the grandstands right now, clapping and cheering all of us who are continuing the same race as we move on. Amen. So it's encouraging to me to know that Abraham, Father Abraham is clapping for me. Moses is clapping for me. Moses is telling me, son, Lan, you aren't the first person, you aren't the first person to follow the invisible. I follow the invisible. I follow the invisible. I look at where it got me. I'm sitting on the grandstand. Abraham said, you know, son, you are not the first person that God will give an assignment and tell you to start moving when he has not even told you where it's going to get to. Because he told me while I was 75, I should leave my father's house. And leave my relative and go to a land that he will show me. I can a 75-year-old man tell everybody where he has lived. I say, I'm going somewhere. And they say, uncle, where are you going? I don't know. But I just have to pack my load and go. Because somebody, something invisible told me that I need to leave. You know, you know in these days, what you will do is that you will tie the uncle down. You will call the, you know, the psych clinic or whatever. I said, something has happened to our uncle. Because at 75, he's, 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 he's leaving everything. He's leaving all his goods and he's going somewhere. And he can't even tell us where he's going. You know, something is happening. This man has lost it. And everybody begins to pray. Listen, you are not the first person that your family members will not understand what you are trying to do. You are not the first person that they are going to tell, are you crazy? You mean you are going to leave that job and you are going to do something that you call ministry? You mean that, that, that cushy job that you got and all the degrees that we gave you, I paid for your degree. And you want to step out and do something that is called ministry or go and live in the inner city. You are not the first person that is going to go through that. Abraham tells you that I went through that and I'm cheering for you. Enoch, Enoch, Enoch says... Enoch says, listen, I was, I was, I was, I was, uh, you know, I was, you know, I, I was living my whole life and, you know, for 65 years, you know, some people are not even up to six, for 65 years, I was just living aimlessly. And then at 65, I had a child. And when I had that child, something happened to me when I had that child. And then I spent the next 300 years working with God. And, you know, it's, 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 you know, he, he, he's saying, you know, no matter how old you feel you are right now, no matter how long you feel you have gone, that there's more ahead of you and you can always realign. And if you are realigning right now, it's cheering you on and say, don't worry, something is about to happen. When I began to walk with, with God, I was translated. I was moved to another world. I was moved. God said, come on, come on, come up either. There's a translation that is coming for you. There's a change that is coming for you. Those who have known you for 65 years, they will say, no, no, it's a different person that we can see right now. There's a transformation that is taking place. And Enoch is saying, I'm cheering you on. Hallelujah. 
Oh, Noah says, you've been trying to build that thing for a long time that God told you, right? And you are getting tired because it's taking a long time. It's okay, boy. I've been there. God told me to build an hack when nobody has seen an hack. God told me to build an ark saying that it's going to save the whole world. And I was, as I was building it, I was building over hundreds of years, and people were coming to me, and they were like, what is this thing that this guy is building? And they were mocking me and laughing at me. But eventually, I built an ark, I saved my family, I condemned the world, and I also saved the world. What you are building right now might be tough. What God is telling you to do right now might be tough, but you don't know who, you are go who is going to come into that ark. You, are no, you don't know who's going to come into that ministry. You don't know who's going to come into that children's ministry or who's going to come out of it. You do not know that God is telling you to do something that's going to change the world. Something that's going to transform the world. Something that's going to preserve the world. In fact, there's somebody in this place, you are raising up a child right now that you do not even know that that person is going to be the salvation of millions. Hallelujah! You do not know right now. You are working in the children's church. And some of the kids, you know, they are, they're very troublesome. Even the most troublesome of them, you do not know that that troublesome kid that you are investing in is the one that God is raising up to change the destiny of this city and the destiny of this nation and of the next generation. So don't give up. Don't give up. Noah says don't give up. Don't give up. Keep on building the hack. Keep on building the hack because the rain is coming. Because the rain is coming and it's going to be needed. Hallelujah. Rahab says I was a prostitute. I was a prostitute. And for the most of my life, I was a prostitute. In fact, that was the name they called me. But I saw, I saw the children of Israel coming. I heard about them. Everybody was talking about them, that they are coming to take over Jericho. And then something began to happen in my heart. You have lived this way. But you know what? You can readjust your life. These spies, these people that are coming from Israel, better align with them because it looks as their God is the God of the whole earth. So when they came, while everybody was afraid, I housed them. While people were looking to kill them, I housed them. I preserved them. And God spoke and said, that woman who is a prostitute who helped you, when you are taking over Jericho, that woman and her family must be spared. And eventually, I became part of the lineage of the Messiah. So no matter where you have been, no matter what you have done, no matter how terrible your life has been, I want you to know that you can realize instantly and God can engraft you in his purpose for the world. Sarah said, I had, I had had one desire all my life. And that desire was just to have a child. I had all the wealth. I had a great husband. I had everything. But I did not have a child. Is there somebody in this place? You have many beautiful things. You have, you have all those things. You have a great job. You have all that. But there's something that you've been trying to give birth to for a long time. It just refuses to come. It might be a physical child, you know, a child, or it might be something. It might be a dream. And she said, I had that hope when I was in my 20s. It did not come to pass. I had the hope when I was in my 30s. It didn't come to pass. I had the hope when I was in my 40s. It didn't come to pass. I had it when I was in my 50s. It didn't come to pass. I had it when it was my six, in my 60s. It didn't come to pass. In fact, I tried to use my own method. I called my maid. Hey, I, I, I said, you know what? Sleep with my husband. Maybe I'm going to have a child. But that even caused me problems. I waited until my 70s. It still didn't happen until I got to a point I gave up that even when the angels came to me and said I was going to have a child I was just laughing it's not possible I have passed menopause but what Sarah Sarah is telling you that what I did not know that menopause does not pause God it does not stop God it is just a menopause is from 
Menopause is from men. It's the boss of men, but it's not the boss of God. Maybe right now you feel there's a pause upon your life. There's a stop upon your life because man says it has stopped. I'm here to announce to you that Jehovah Tyrant, hell shall die, has not stopped concerning you. He has not paused concerning you. Jehovah, hell shall die, has just started concerning you. She said at 75, I became pregnant. And the pregnant, the pregnancy I had in me, I named, I named him laughter. I named him Isaac, laughter, the child of promise. And from Isaac came Jacob, from Jacob, you know, came Joseph and all the 12 tribes of Israel. And from the 12 tribes of Israel came Jesus. Listen, what I did not know when there was a delay was that I was carrying the savior of the world. I was carrying the destiny of the world. And God was preparing me. But now I sit in the cloud of witness and I tell you, you don't know what you are carrying. Don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. You will give back to it. 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 You will give back to your laughter. 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 Come on, say amen to that. I will give back. Someone say, I will give back to my laughter. Say it, everybody. Say, I will give back to my laughter. No matter how long it takes. No matter what men say. God has not finished with me. Hallelujah. Listen, I want to encourage somebody else again. Moses' parents, they are in the cloud of witnesses. And they're looking at you. Parents in this place, you're sacrificing for your children. You're preparing them. You're teaching them. Sometimes, even when you're teaching them, it looks as if they're not listening to what you're saying. It looks as if what you're telling them is not working. Moses' parents say... Don't worry. Don't give up. We also had a child. And we had a child in a dangerous generation. We had, a, you know, some Christians said, it's a dangerous generation that we're in right now. Our children, children are being, you know, are being lured into various things. Moses' parents said, don't worry. We had a child in a dangerous generation. Because in that generation, all the sons were being killed. Everybody was being destroyed. But we saw this child. That there was a purpose about this child. There was something about this child. So we hid him for some time. And when we couldn't hide him any longer, we decided to leave him into God's hand. We put him by the river. And God took over from us. I want to encourage you, parent. Say it's Moses' parent. Moses' mother, Moses' father, saying to you, right now you are doing all that you can concerning your children. You are hiding them. You are teaching them. You are putting them in the schools. You are teaching them all those things. Don't worry. When it's time to release them, I have Pharaoh's daughter waiting to take your children. The Pharaoh's daughter will take them, put them in the system of the world, but they will be trained in the systems of the world, but they are coming back as saviors. They are coming back as deliverers to take my people with the knowledge and the wisdom that they have received. So God is telling you don't give up. Don't give up on those children. Don't give up on those children because God is preparing them to be law givers. He's preparing them to be people that we usher in the new order of God. Come and give God some praise. Hallelujah. I am so glad that we have the cloud of witness. You don't have to, to quit. Our sacrifices are not in vain. Number two, the arrangement. 
the arrangement. What are you running in? What's the race like? So I talked about it last week. I said the race we're talking about has a particular arrangement. It is the way it is. There's something that it is not and something that it is. Number one, it's not a rat race. I already talked about that. We're not talking about the rat race. We're not talking about the race to fulfill the American dream. No. It's not a rat race. It's not a race of the accumulation of physical, material stuff. If that is necessary for your race, yeah, that is an addendum to the race. But the race we're talking about right now is more than that. It is not a frat race. It is not a race that your fraternity has to agree to. That, you know, they, 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 you know, they are going to subscribe to necessarily. And it's not a race. You know, it's, an, it's an individual race. Do you get what I'm saying? It's an individual race. You have the support of others, but it's an individual race. And you are going to re receive reward according to your labor. I said it is, not, uh, it is not a part race. I think I jumped that. It's not a part race. It is not a race to get a part from your, from your friends, from your people. You know, say, yeah, good job, good job, good job. No, where you want to get your commendation is from the Father. And it is not a splat race. It's not a short distance race that you run in one splat. It is a long distance race. It has faces. It has faces. You have to move from one face to the other. It is not a sad race. You can't sit on the sideline. You have to get in it. You have to get in it to actually run the race. And it's not a fat race because you have to get rid of the spiritual, excess spiritual fat to be able to run it. So this is where I stopped last week. So today I'm going to point number three. I want to quickly show you, which is the athletes. The athletes. Number three. Who is doing the running? Amen. Who is doing the running? Hallelujah. Now, I'm sure you know if you have ever run a race. And I've been getting some messages from people that say, oh, no, I ran when I was in, I ran cross country or I ran, you know, this and that when I was in school. And, you know, I think this is resonating with everyone. So, you know that the most important factor in a race is the athlete. <laughs> Isn't that true? <laughs> That's the most important factor. Not the terrain. It's very important, right? Is the athlete themselves. The athlete is the biggest factor in the race. And that's why the writer of Hebrews tells us something that for us to be able to run this race, we have to be positioned as winning athletes. So if you want to title my message today, it will be how to be a winning athlete. How to be a winning athlete. That's, that's another title for it. How to position as a winning athlete. The fitness, the fitness of the athletes determines whether they start the race, stay in the race, or finish the race. You know why I've not run the Chicago Marathon, even though I've been running it in my mind for a long time? My heavy arm go, you know, put it there. So I put it in my goal. I had to run the Chicago Marathon. You know why I've not run it? Because I haven't trained. I'm not fit for it. If I go and run it right now, <laughs> God forbid. <laughs> you know, I will even try. I will, I will walk it, you know. 
hogy az volt én az idő, hogy már gettő poetáját, hogy Something's got to change. I have to, I have to do some training. And you know, there, there was a time I actually got the whole thing, the training, like what I need to do and all that. And I actually started, and then I fell off again. So this year I'm stirred up again. You know, we're talking about it in the LBC. Just pray for me. Amen. <laughs> but you know, the 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 fitness of the athlete matters. The fitness will determine whether you start it, you stay in it, or that you end the race. What we want to do is that we want to make sure that we start, we want to make sure that we stay in the race, and we want to make sure that. We finish the race. So in the Old Testament, I'm going to be <coughs> doing something in the Old Testament right now. In the Old Testament, just let me pass the, the, the body of water. So in the Old Testament, there is a, there's a metaphor. Thank you, sir. There's a metaphor there uh, that a lot of people, we use a lot when it comes to Israel. <coughs> it's called the promised land. Everybody say the promised land. The promised land. <coughs> the promised land. How many of you have heard that? The promised land. Taking them to the promised land. Now, the way we used to, like in the past, people used to interpret it like the promised land is heaven. That when we get to heaven, that's when we have entered the promised land. But no, the promised land is not heaven. You know why the promised land is not heaven? Because while they're in the promised land, they still had enemies. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? They still had enemies coming against them. So it's not a type of heaven. The promised land is a type of you Stepping into God's purpose, God's place for you in life, where you are fulfilling God's plans for you. Do you get what I'm saying? That's what the promised land typifies. Egypt typifies the world when we were not born again, when we were not saved, right? And then God delivers us from Egypt. And then we go through, you know, the wilderness. The wilderness represents the renewal of mind, the changing things. Things that have to change in our minds and all that so that we can be positioned to now start possessing our possessions and territories in God's plans for us in the promised land. So, so using those three things, Egypt, the wilderness, and the promised land, we're going to use that to you know, dissect our race and who we need to be as an athlete. Amen. Positioning to be a winning athlete. So, number one, I'm going to give you three things under this athlete. Number one, I call it the realignment. Some things that need to take place as an athlete so that you can run the race. The realignment. What are the essentials of a race that helps you to run it and win it? First one is realignment. Philippians chapter 3 from verse 12. Let's look at it. Philippians 3 verse 12. So we're dealing with you as the athletes. Philippians 3 verse 12 to 14. Paul says, I do not mean to say that I have already achieved these things. So number one, if you are writing down, writing down your first attitude as an athlete, to reposition yourself is to realize that no matter what has happened to you in the past, victories, successes, or failures, 
you are not yet there. Someone say, I'm not yet there. So we're talking about realignment. You are not yet there. So don't park yet. Don't let the failures of the past tell you that you can't run the race anymore or that God has put a full stop on you. And number two, don't let the successes of the past deceive you because you're not yet there. So I do not say I have already achieved this thing. Somebody say, I will not say that I have already achieved. Don't say it with your mouth and don't act it in your demeanor. A person who is about to run a race to win, do you get what I'm saying? They are keeping their eyes on the goal, knowing that there's something they are supposed to do. They don't come into the place with trophies. When I ran the race, you know, the, 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 in the Winter Olympic of 19, so, 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 this one, you know, and then you come with all the trophies that you have won, and then you come and you stand there. <laughs> no, there's a way that you, you must be as somebody who is still running the race. So whenever you see anybody who behaves as if they have arrived, you know, once you begin to behave as if you have arrived, then you start losing the race. You know, there are some people, they can't do certain things any longer because they are now big women and big men. You know, like that's minor stuff, you know, minor stuff, you know. You need to carry a chair. You need to do this kind of stuff. You know, the kind of thing I do right now, they are managerial stuff. I could just do my mental, whatever, because I... <laughs> yeah, do that. Do that in the world. Do managerial stuff in your workplace. But in the kingdom of God, <laughs> you want to work with God, you know. Your managerial stuff is still include carrying chairs. You know, it still includes, you know, one-on-one evangelism. One-on-one evangelism. I heard about Bishop Oedeko that some people were shocked when they saw him doing one-on-one evangelism like on the street. This is person that has ministries all over and whatever. And they saw him coming to preach. I came to, you know, to share the word with you. Ah, this is Bishop. This is Bishop. Look at Jesus Christ. He went about doing good. Healing. So listen, all this thing of, you know, cleaning uh, stuff or doing whatever, that's, you know, that's below my grade now. You know, I've been doing that for several years. Now I, I am advanced level in the purpose and the plan of God. You are deceiving yourself. This is it. Anything. This is, this is, the, this is the philosophy. There are two aspects to your service in the kingdom. The first aspect is what you are designed for. The second aspect is what only you is available for. Do you get the difference? What you are designed for is towards your strength. Do you get what I'm saying? So, for example, right now, I, I have to preach this Sunday service because I am taxed by God to feed the body as a lead pastor. So that's why I, you know, I think any, other people can do it. But there are several other things that other people can do and all that, so they do that. Now, there are certain aspects of the ministry that it is not necessarily what I'm supposed to do, but when I look around, I'm the only one that is available for it. Do you get what I'm saying? Or I'm the only one that has them. Maybe I have this, you know, some, some knowledge about it, and some of them are usually mundane stuff. Sometimes it's technical stuff, you understand? Sometimes it's whatever and all that. So you have to do both. Do you get what I'm saying? You have to do both. 
So it's not just what you are designed for that you do. It is what you are the one that you available. You are the one that can see it. You are the one that can solve it. You understand? Every, nobody is there until, you, until somebody else that can solve it, you are the one that will do it. So that's why we always have, you always see ourselves, you see us that we're always doing both. We're doing what we are uniquely designed for and we're doing things that we see that is around, that we're the only one that is available for. Did you guys get that? Awesome. The attitude of the <laughs> or the heartlet, like, you know, the realignment of the heartlet. So he said, but I do what? I press. Everybody say, I press. I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ first possessed me. I, you know, I love a translation that says, I press on to possess, to, to lay hold on the reason why Christ laid hold of me. I think it's Amplified Classic or so. To lay hold on the reason why Christ laid hold of me. You know, now Paul says, when Jesus Christ laid hold of me on the road to Damascus, there were some things that he told me to do. So I keep pressing to lay hold on that reason. That is purpose. So when it comes to realignment of the athletes, you must have a press mentality. Everybody say a press mentality. You must have a press mentality. A press mentality is, you know, there's, there's just something about you that keeps reaching for more, that just keeps pushing further, that you just keep pushing further, just keep pushing further, just keep pushing further. You don't allow the present to stop. You don't allow the challenges to stop you. You just keep pushing further because there's a reason why God laid hold of you. So we must have that press mentality. Verse 14, he said, I press on to reach the end, verse 14. I, see, see, uh, but I focus, okay, go, go, no, sorry, go back, go back, sorry, sorry, yeah, go back to that verse 13. He said, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus, everybody say focus. Say focus on this one thing. Focus on this one thing. Focus on this one thing. As we move forward, I'll, you know, I'll get, we'll get to talk about that one thing in another for you. But listen, I'm just trying to tell you that you must have a, 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 a focus. You cannot allow your focus to be split up and broken. You have to keep this assignment of God, this race of God, in focus continually. Whenever your focus gets broken, get back. Get among people that can serve your focus. Get into the word of God. You have to focus on it. Don't focus on the challenges. Don't focus on the past. Don't focus, you know, on, on, on all the things, all the distractions. Keep your focus on it. You know, listen, we have to be careful. There are so many things that we, there are so many things we give ourselves to do that God did not get to give us to do. There are many things we give ourselves to do that God didn't give us to do. There are many things that we're struggling and suffering for right now that when you stand before God, he's not even going to mention it. He's not going to mention it because he didn't send you to do it. For example, if I, if I send my son, you understand, if I send my son and I say, please, go, go buy this thing for me or do whatever, when he comes back, what am I going to ask him? But, you know, as I was going, you know, to buy that thing for you, I decided also to buy a balloon I also decided to, you know, to go, you know, to this place and also to do this one. I also decided to do this one. 
The question is, who told you to do all that? <laughs> who said you to do all that? He expected you to do this work. That is how many of us live. We are acquiring many balloons to present to God. When all he's asking us to bring to him is souls, transformation, but we are acquiring many things that he's not even going to, he's not even going to talk to you about. Let me tell you something. God is not going to talk to you about your salary, except that salary touched the lives of people. God is not going to ask you about the amount of houses that you had on the earth. Do you get what I'm saying? Except maybe those houses touched, you used it to touch some people. In other words, God is only interested in the, when it comes to this race, in the races, the things in your races that actually impact his plans and purposes. So I thought it's not a rat race. Do you get what I'm saying? It's not a rat race. And people are just troubled. You know, they are so troubled by all that. If you travel from the United States and go to other countries, you see people running their race with less than what you have. And they are happier than you. You know, when we look at people from the United States, we say, wow, those poor countries in Africa. Now, we have gone to many of those countries. And sometimes when we get there, we say, these people are happier than Americans. <laughs> that horse in America. They are, their life is very simple. You have a goat. <laughs> you, have, <laughs> you have a heart. <laughs> no, seriously, we went to the South Sudanese camp. No, I'm serious. To the South Sudanese camp uh, in uh, Uganda, in uh, northern Uganda. And you see all these people, the government gave them the land, and everybody can build a house. And so they build huts around it, right? Everybody can be arts and have all whatever. And then you see all these people, they, the way they are excited about it. In fact, there was one that sent me a message, please, you know, I need to build my house and everything and whatever. Can you help me? So I asked, how much is it, it going to cost to build your house? He told me the amount. Okay, I said, I'll send it to you. So we built the house. In. We built it in two weeks. <laughs> That's how fast houses are to build. Or demand housing, you know? <laughs> and this, you know, if you see the joy, the excitement in this guy. Now, the, the next thing now, this guy is starting leading life training. He started leading life training for youth. And then he's taking it, he's requesting just right now, it's not just, an, just something <laughs> to be able to do amazing stuff. I'm like, God, you know, sometimes we are too, we are being reprogrammed. We are being programmed wrongly. Seriously, many of us are running the rat race. Relax. Everybody say relax. relax. Simplify your life a little. Huh? Simplify your life a little. The things that are putting pressure on you, they are not the things that God is going to talk to you about when you get to heaven. And listen, some of those, if you are not careful, they will get you to heaven faster than you are supposed to get you there. <laughs> I God said, so what, 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 what I said you to do, what did you do? You know, as I was trying to do the job, as I was, you know, I was going in, I worked three jobs, four jobs to sustain everything because I had a huge mortgage. And as I was trying to do that, you know, I don't know what happened to me. I don't appear before you. I just said, ah! <laughs> you were doing what I didn't tell you to do. And it he 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 sent you to be faster than you are supposed to come. <laughs> what do I do with you right now? <laughs> Many of us are going gray here. Doing what God has not told us to do. <laughs> it includes educational pursuits. It includes it. 
there are some great, uh, some things that God, if God leads you to do something, you know, development is always good. But be careful that you don't just go and do things and put it on yourself just because you want to, to prove something. You understand? The only person you have to prove something to is God. You don't owe anybody any explanation for your life. Can I get a great amen in this house? Focus. Peter said, we have left all and followed you. And he said, no more who has left houses, mother, whatever, for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, will not receive a hundredfold now in this life and in the world to come. You have to streamline your life to be a successful athlete in this race. You have to streamline your life. Hallelujah. Is somebody getting something? So he said, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end. I pre- Everybody say, I press on to reach the end of the race and to receive the heavenly prize, which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So he's pressing to reach the end. So, so the first thing about the athlete is, the, is your inner realignment. Your inner realignment. So make sure that you are focused not on the past, not on what you have achieved, not on distractions, but you are focused on that assignment. You have to keep it before your eyes. You don't, don't take an assignment that was given to you by the world. Don't take an assignment that was given to you by your flesh. Don't take on an assignment in a sense, that was given to you by society, something that God has not given you. Find out the assignment that God has for your life and keep your focus on that and that alone. Okay. Number two, the rigor. The rigor. The rigor. So the first one, talking about the athletes, the first one is your realignment. The second one is the rigor of the race itself. The rigor. So being a winning athlete is what we're talking about right now. Realignment, your focus and all that. The second one is the rigor of the race, like being prepared for the rigor of the race. Now, how many of you have, I mean, no, have you, You've read Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 2. Let, let's read. Quickly read Deuteronomy 1, verse 2, talking about the promised land. Do you know that it's the promised land <laughs> was an 11-day journey? Normally. <laughs> that normally, it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea, going by the way of Mansur. It was an 11-day journey. But it took Israel 40 years. (laughs) 40 years. And guess guess what? 40 years and an entire generation did not make it. It took a new generation that made it. Why? That's the question we're asking right now. Why didn't they make it? Why didn't they get to the end of the race? The The first thing that we see here about why they did not make it is in Exodus chapter 13 from 17 to 18. Let's look at Exodus 17, uh, 13, 17 to 18. The first reason why they did not make it is like when Pharaoh finally let the people go. So they got saved, right? Got born again. God did not lead them along the main road. 
There's a main road to your destiny. Expressway. There's an expressway to the end of your race. Everybody say there's an expressway. See, we're going home, right? Patrick, the high 94, right? <laughs> Get on it. But <laughs> that main road runs through some battles. Some challenges. But it is the shortest route to the promised land. God said, hmm, the way I'm looking at these athletes, the way I'm looking at them, if they, they hear something coming from something else, any challenge like this, these people will run back. That they will change their minds quickly and return to Egypt. <laughs> so what did God do? God chose to lead them in a roundabout way. So question, are you going to the roundabout way? Or the main highway? What was the factor? Come on, tell me. What was the factor that determined whether God took us to roundabout or main highway? Uh, our preparation, uh, who we are as an athlete. Do. No, I'm telling you, let us be sincere. All of us in this place, we have been going through roundabout ways. <laughs> we'll be doing roundabout. You know what roundabout is? For some people, they go immediately. They go into a roundabout. <laughs> Back to the very beginning again. No wonder 11 days took 40 years. <laughs> there are people here, they are still dealing with the same issues that they've been dealing with for the past 20 years. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that they may be done. Ah! They dealt with it 20 years ago. 25 years after they've been dealing with the same issue. The same pride. Stuff that God is trying to get out of you. That he has been dealing with you when you were in high school. <laughs> now your kids are in high school. <laughs> you still have not yielded. Roundabout. Roundabout. You know what God did eventually? He gave up on them. I said, let's start with a new generation. <laughs> 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 this, this roundabout is too much. <laughs> let, let, let me just start out. If there was one time, God said, Moses, let me kill all these people. Let me just start with you. I'll face up a new people. I'll put start with God. God, please, don't kill them. Don't kill them. At least let them stay alive. What is, what, what is all these nations like? What are all these nations going to say if you kill them now? You know, just, okay, I've had you. I'll let them stay. But they're not, <laughs> they're not going to make it. I'm going to have to raise a new generation. Please, don't let God raise a new generation for the work you're supposed to do in this generation. Let the new generation take over from you. And take it to a new level. Oh, my God. 
It was them. Look, he led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness. So does the Israel left Egypt like an army ready for battle? It's like an army, like an army ready for battle. But these guys, God, they were not ready for battle. <laughs> They're not ready. Guys, are you ready for the rigor of your race? Yes. You understand? There's going to be some challenges that's going to come along. You've got to be ready to go through those challenges. You must not be a child any longer that runs away from challenges. You must face what it takes to run this race. It's going to take some challenge. It's going to take some, some dying inside of you. It's going to take some people you know, saying things about you, doing whatever. It's going to take some tough decisions that you're going to have to make. But listen, if you follow God and make those decisions, he will be with you and you'll be going through the main highway. But if you refuse to do that, you keep going the roundabout way. God will bless you as much as he can, not as much as he wants. So my prayer is, Lord, help me. What is it that is in me that is taking me through roundabouts? Please take it away so I can get on the highway. Come on, pray that prayer right now. By fire, pray! <laughs> pray it! <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm serious. Pray that prayer. They, they spent 40 years for 11, 11 days journey because of weight. Weight. Okay, so let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me end today by giving you some of the weight. I'm going to end. Oh, what's the time? I've got to end right now. But let me just give you one more. Just one, so just one, one of those things. One of the weight um, that the Bible identified why they could not enter. In Deuteronomy 1, 26, and we're going to end with that today. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 26, quickly. Just, we'll continue next week. It said, so, but you rebelled. Start from verse 24, if possible. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 24. Start from 24. They headed to the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and flooded it. Verse 25. They picked some of the fruit and brought it back to us. So the promised land is nice. Purpose is great, you know. And they reported the land of our God has given us indeed a good land. It's a great place to be. But 26. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. How? Verse 27. Let's do it very fast. You complained in your tents. The first one is ingratitude. Ingratitude. Listen, part of the weight that holds us down from running this race as fast as we're supposed to run it is that we have been trained to be ungrateful. Ungrateful by what God has already done and what he's doing in our lives. You complained in your tent and said, the Lord must hate us. That's why he has brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Hammerite to be slaughtered. Every challenge, they kept on complaining about it. Oh God, why did you bring me to this marriage? Oh Lord, why did you bring me to this city? Oh God, why did you bring me to this country? Oh God, why did you bring me to this church? Oh God, why did you bring me to this relationship? Oh God, why did you bring me to this job? Oh God, why did you bring me to... Come on, it's every time, why did you bring me to... Why did you, why did you, there's no place you are going to be in this world where you are not going to have to say why if you don't learn to be grateful. Amen. Where can we go? Our brothers have demoralized us. Please say something for me. Have demoralized us with their reports. They tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are. 
and their tails are large, with walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Keep going, you see. But, but I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. The second one is fear. Fear. There are a lot of people, because of fear, fear of people, fear of loss, fear of all that, they are not running their race. It's a weight. It's a weight. Let's finish. Verse 30. The Lord your God is going ahead of you. He will fight for you. Like you saw him, just like you saw him do in Egypt. And God saw how, and you saw how the Lord your God cared for you along the way. Look to the past. And you travel through the wilderness. Look, look, see how the miracles you have already experienced in your life so far. Just as a father cares for his child. Now he has brought you to this place. Where you are now, he has brought you to this place. Remember what he did in the past. I remember when, you know, we were believing God for 250 to pay weekly for this church. You understand? So when we are believing God for thousands and thousands now, I remember then how God caused miracles. I remember when we were building the building. I would pray. I remember people, you know, the different people, how they started. Some people who started homeless. Some people started this, and I see what they are doing right now. Remember what God has done in the past. But he said, but even after all he did, you refused to trust, unbelief, to put faith in God, your God. And so what was the, what was the result? He said, who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. You know, that was, God has been guiding them and all that, but they still, those, in those three areas, they still did not listen to God. And therefore, God had to come to that conclusion in Numbers chapter 14, quickly, the right, let's rise up on our feet. Numbers chapter 14, we're going to read it together. The conclusion that God, that God, that God made as a result of it. He said, uh, one second, let me get, let me get that, uh, that particular verse for you. Numbers 14 verse 24. Numbers 14 verse 24. He says, he said, but my servant Caleb, out of all of you, has a different attitude. Everybody say different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me, so I will bring him to the land. You see, attitude matters. The attitude of the athletes matters. I'll bring him to the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Verse 25, quickly, verse 25. Now turn around and don't go in towards the land where the Amalekites and the Canaanites live. Tomorrow you must set out for the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea. Can you imagine? They left from the Red Sea. Now God says, you guys are going back to the Red Sea where you were before. Right? Because you did not do. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, verse 27, said to Moses and Aaron, how long must I put up with this wicked community and his complaint about me? Yes, I have heard their complaint the Israelites are making against me. Verse 20, now tell them this, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing that I heard you say in your heart. You will all drop dead in this wilderness because you complained against me. Every one of you who is 20 years old and older and was included in the registration will die. I will not be in that registration in Jesus' name. Say that. You will not enter and occupy the land as what to give you. The only exception will be Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. You said your children will be carried up as plunder. Well, I will bring the children safely into the land. They will enjoy what you have despised. But as for you, you will drop dead in the wilderness. And your children will be like shepherds, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. 
In this way, they will pay for your faithlessness until the last of you is dead in the wilderness. Oh my God. You, we will not die in the wilderness. Someone say, I will not die in the wilderness. Remember I said, the wilderness is mentalities. Mentalities, 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 wrong mentalities, mentalities. We will not die in the wilderness. We are going to adjust our attitude to the attitude of Joshua, to the attitude of Caleb. And we're going to go by faith and run the race that God has set before us. Looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Whatever God needs to do in my life, come and begin to pray right now. Lord, whatever you need to do in my life to change my attitude, to, to get me to the place of humility, to follow you, to serve you, to love you, to follow after your plans. Take away those mentalities. Take away all those childish mentalities. Take away all those things I brought from Egypt. Take them out of my life. I want to finish my race. Come and lift up your voices and pray in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to The Glow Podcast. We trust you were blessed and inspired. For more content from Dr. Land, visit our website at www.pastorland.com and follow at Pastor Land on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Keep glowing. See you next time.